survived or, or trying to create something here, but you know, something happened in, in the services here on Sunday and also where I was at Sunday. And the Lord just impressed upon me this, this week. I, I put out there for some people to see that the supernatural, that God's supernatural power is not scheduled for Sundays and Wednesday nights. It's in every minute, every second of the day. But we tend to come and, and think that that's where we're just going to receive that. But let me tell you something. What I'm trying to tell you tonight, the Holy Spirit's already trying to tell you. And that's, aren't you tired? Aren't you weary of things being as usual? You know, I'd been praying for a long time that the operation of the gifts of the Spirit would break loose in new song. And... You know, I kind of thought in a way it would be those folks that had already experienced that and operated in the gift of spirit. You know, like um, messages in tongues and interpretation and healing and those and other things like that that, that really the supernatural we've been preaching on. And, you know, Sunday I go to meet with my wife and the evangelist and find out that someone who's never had any experience with that at all received the baptism of the Holy Spirit Sunday and began to pray for others. And I was challenging that person to just find people at work and ask them if they can lay their hands on them and pray for them. Put the test. And I'm saying this because I think sometimes we come in and we're waiting for someone else or something else to happen before we come to the point we say, God, I'm just not going to leave here until you've done something miraculous in my life. And I don't even have to know what I need, Lord, because you know. But I'm just not going to leave here. And it doesn't matter what doesn't matter what songs we sing, the Lord leads that to Him. But for your part, it doesn't matter what songs we sing. It doesn't matter what that message is going to be. If you come determined, I'm not leaving here without what God has planned for me. Something changed, then He will do something. I'm not going to tell my own stories as examples. I'm just going to tell you that I know that. I've lived that. That if you challenge Him, you know, it's okay to challenge God. If you challenge Him, say, I, I do not want to leave here you doing something miraculous in my life. Sometimes it's as simple as stepping out of your seat or finding a place or doing doing something that the Lord prompts your heart to do. That that you're sitting there thinking, you know what, nobody else is doing that, or that's not the appropriate time of service. Or some point, somehow, if God's going to really shake our lives loose and do something supernatural lives, you're going to have to come to that point that's going to be about you and God and nobody else. You can switch churches this Sunday and go somewhere else and you're still going to be faced with the same dilemma. How am I going to experience the power of God in my life? How? You could be an atheist here tonight and you still have the same dilemma. I can't believe he's real. So you're faced with the same thing. The only way I can believe he's real is if I have a powerful encounter where he shows up and it's me and him. I'm just telling you as much as I love the, the spirit-led songs Ken brings. I love the word of God that God brings. But, you know, i got to tell you, even on the sermons, normally I'd be excited. I'm, I don't want this to sound wrong, but I'm not really excited about preaching. Because I feel like if we just come through and we preach the word, we listen to some music and sing along, but we leave the same, then what did we do? What did we do? We want to be, you know, late in life and wondering, where did all those times ago when I was with other believers and the Holy Spirit was upon my heart. Where did all that time go? 
And it's not just about you because there's people who need to be reached with the gospel. And you're simply not going to do it with power until you have a powerful encounter with God. You might try to do it out of duty. You might try to do it out of, out of form and fashion because you've learned that in church or, or an evangelism class or something or Bible college or whatever. You might try to do it out of all those different avenues. But until you have an Acts experience, read the book of Acts until you have that Acts experience with the Holy Spirit. You're going to feel powerless. I'm not trying to beat anybody over the head. Maybe I'm beating myself over the head tonight. But guys, I'm, this church was started by a pastor who got so frustrated with doing church as usual. He just he just came to the point that Lord lead me anywhere, anywhere it happens. He brought him here, and that's what God intends for this church. To not do church as usual. So I don't even know where we go from here, but I'm gonna ask Ken, and I don't know if he was done or going more, but asking to lead us some more and, and uh, I just challenge you you need to figure out what it is God wants to do for you tonight because if you have any any inkling any hint that you might leave here the same as you came then you you need to get very very desperate that God will do something and you will leave here like pastor I'm fine I'm worshiping God until you've interrupted him I was doing good. Well, I'm just telling you, call me judgmental, whatever, but I can sense in our room there's people who need the miraculous in their life. And their breakthrough comes when when we let the Holy Spirit break through the shell around our pride, our heart. Just let Him do what He wants to do. what you have done, what you are going to do, and what you're going to continue to do right here, right now, in this place. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. All right. You can be seated, and I want to take a moment before we um, dismiss teachers and the kids. Um, there are some announcements that Ken wasn't given, um, but we do need to go over. Um, so, the outreach that we announced, you know, when I was talking about us doing a, a missions trip, we're doing a missions trip to our own city, and that is not this Saturday, but the next, so I believe that's the 6th. We're meeting here at noon. Uh, it won't be a lunch provided. We'll probably have some snacks here, but, you know, if you want to eat lunch before, we're going to do about an hour and a half training. Uh, some of you that were here when we had another evangelist here, um, we did something similar. It'll be a little different this time, but we're going to go door-to-door alongside and team up with a Hispanic church. So if you come to a door and it's a Spanish-speaking family, they're going to lead that. And, and if it's an English-speaking family, then our folks are going to lead that. And we're going to come and just try to pray for people and minister to them door-to-door. And I, I was joking with uh, uh, Brother Danny, senior, big, big Danny, older Danny, earlier, that we might need to have a sign that says we are not Jehovah's Witness. I don't know. But um, <laughs> listen, listen, I, I do need to tell you this part. I'm in favor of this. I'm behind it, and I love it. And I have the same doubts anybody would have. Do you think people are going to open our door, or are they going to think we're Jehovah's Witness? But I'm telling you, 
um, God has been ordaining some steps. And, and Pat, uh, Reverend uh, Horton, Jared Horton, that spoke Sunday, uh, God put him in my path, and I felt I felt a kindred spirit with him. And uh, I, we already saw some fruit from what God was doing Sunday. And he's on fire to help us reach our community. And he doesn't live here. He doesn't live in our community. And so uh, God has given us someone who has a passion to help us, uh, who has a passion to go out. And I'm just going to challenge you. Here, here's the statistics. You're only going to get usually 5 to at most 10% of your people show up for something like this. And we actually beat that average, I think, the last time a little bit. I, I know some people will say, that's not my thing. But let me ask you this. Are you doing it now? Are you evangelizing now? Where are our fruit and where are your disciples? And I'm not trying to guilt you into anything, but it's just a real, truthful, biblical question to ask yourself. If I'm not going to do it this way, then what way am I going to do it? When am I going to actually live out what I say that I believe? And so I'm telling you, this is an opportunity that a week from this Saturday, it's not because I don't want to you know, be looking at him and say, we didn't have many people show up. I already told him, I said, listen, I agree. Not a lot of people show up for these things. But I'm believing God's going to help us. And what we're going to do is it's going to continue. We've got a map of the city. We had printed off where we get our building plans done. And Jared is taking his time to map out and start planning out that in, in a year or in a year and a half, we could literally reach every neighborhood. And when he did the numbers, it was really very little people it took to get through the whole all the neighborhoods of Centerton in about a year's time if we're doing it methodically. It doesn't have to be all the same six people or whatever, but I'm going to challenge you. Come next Saturday because that will be the launch to really do that. And so uh, we'll go out about 1 o'clock, I think he said. We'll, no, noon to noon to 1.30 training. And then at 1.32, somewhere around there, we'll go out. And, and we're just going to go out to a few neighborhoods, short time. It's not an all-day thing. So um, unless you get out there and just ministry, the door's open, and you're, because of what's happening for you, you're out there a long time, uh, the expectation is it's not into the evening hours. Okay, so um, that's next Saturday. All right, so that. Now, this Sunday, hold a bantain. Um, some of you will have no idea what that, that name is about. But Holdabantain is 94 years old and has spent over 60 years in India and is responsible, her and her husband, for starting uh, Mercy of Calcutta, which is a large ho- hospital. Um, they work with orphanage too, don't they? And um, there are several things. I was looking at the website about the things they've expanded in. Holda is legendary. Her husband, the things you're going to hear Sunday will blow you away. And I wanted so bad to put that video when I found online on Facebook, but I was like, I don't want to spoil it. If she's showing the, there's one video that gives some testimonies about her husband and her. And so don't miss, 9 or 11 o'clock, she'll be here. All right, now, other big news for Sunday. This Sunday, 9 and 11, Holda. This Sunday, 5 p.m. is groundbreaking ceremony. <laughs> and that's a better response than I expected. <laughs> That's a better response. That was good, Don. All right. Five, we, we changed it to five because there's rain coming in, and there are several things planned um, for folks I knew that need to be there. And I haven't heard back from Mayor Bill. I'm hoping he'll be able to be there. But uh, the key folks that we want to be there, but Lynn Blankenship, who she is the widow of the first pastor we had that started the church, she'll be there. So um, 5 p.m. at the New Song Land. If you need directions how to get there or you need some information, see me after service. But uh, – We'll just be praying that the rain ceases and it's not all muddy, you know, so we can have a great time, celebrate. We'll probably be out there about 45 minutes or so for groundbreaking to an hour at the most. And uh, I think my dad has agreed to pull the first little scoop of dirt with his old uh, 48 Ford tractor. It's just sentimental for me. So um, 
and we'll have some people with the special shovels and so on. Yeah, yeah, you can save a jar of dirt. Hey, listen, um, also let me tell you, and then I'm going to uh, dismiss, um, on the men's conference too, uh, I don't want to skip over the groundbreaking, I'll come back, but the men's conference, we had a few guys from Bella Vista Assembly, we're all riding their 25 uh, passenger people mover, very nice, has like the Greyhound seat, bus seats, you know, and Anyway, they had a couple guys cancel and filled one of those, and then I have a couple people on the hook that may be taking those empty spots. If you, you're a guy here over 18 years old and you uh, have n- not got a ticket and you want to go, get on the list of who's next because basically by tomorrow we're trying to fill that. It's 80 bucks for the ticket, uh, well worth it. it. Right now they're going for 110 I think, at this point online, so 80 bucks. Your hotel, if you share with someone, will be half of 85 with tax. And then your food. Leaving Friday, 11.30. We're going to be back probably by 5, 5.30 in the evening on Saturday. So um, see me after that. All right, so on this groundbreaking, let me give, um, let me um, go ahead while the teacher's here. Let me tell you, thank you for your prayers. Those of you who are praying for me. Not everybody got contacted, but those who did, thank you. Um, I met with Pastor Armando Rodriguez today, the lead pastor over the Hispanic church I spoke at. And he, he really challenged me. He said, brother, when w- they went to build a building each time, he said, this isn't the same as if you went to build a bar. That was his example. He said, the devil will leave you alone on that. He said, there's a lot of things you could go do, and the devil's going to leave you alone. But when you are representing uh, a body of believers like this, and you are going forward to build the kingdom, a building or whatever it is, the devil will come at you. And I'm going to tell you, he has been socking me in the gut a lot. And I've been working on not being a whiner, so you're not hearing it as much as I usually would, okay? But um, I need some prayer. I need you guys to lift me up in prayer. Um, I really do. I've got some uh, personal battles that I'm having to battle, and I, I don't want to go into, but I want you to pray for me. Um, and then, uh, of course, for the building, the, the city, literally, I don't want to down them because it's just a couple people, but literally caught me in the middle of a meeting on the land yesterday and, and threw a big wrench, <laughs> a big wrench in our plans. And uh, we ended up having to go to a meeting last night that wasn't planned, and uh, for us anyway. The Lord helped us. The Lord helped, helped me and, and gave me the words to speak, and we're okay now. Um, but uh, I just, I really need your prayers. So kids, too, pray for your pastor. I need it. All right. Okay, well, let me go ahead and uh, dismiss the teacher. We don't have, okay. We have a handful of kids, and they don't have a set thing tonight. Okay, that's right. So. All right, we're going to get into the Word in a minute, but just I, I'm telling you, I'm so excited about the groundbreaking. Here's what's going on. We had no dirt-moving companies on the hook saying we could be there. And in about four hours, four to five hours, I had three. So now we're having to pick from three instead of not have any. <laughs> yes, praise the Lord. So literally what's going to happen is we're going to break ground. Uh, we're going to have groundbreaking on Sunday. The loan will close Monday or Tuesday, our, our bank loan. And uh, once that's done, they'll go out, take a picture of the land, and we'll be able to push dirt in. The thing we need to pray for is I know everybody, we need rain, but right now we don't need it. <laughs> so if we've seen it happen on our house build. Jen can tell you there's a few people there. One day it was pouring down so hard in Centerton, I couldn't hardly see to get back. And we were pouring concrete footings, I think. I was like, Lord, those guys, everybody that's out there is probably huddled up in vehicles and messing up the day. And I called them, and they said, no, it's dry and sunny here. And we looked on radar, and literally there was one-mile radius around our land, and everywhere else in northwest Arkansas was rain because we had people praying, and that rain went right around our land. 
So I've seen God do it, but we, we need dry dirt for them to be able to start. And we need them to be able to start because we got special permission to get our RV sites in a little earlier than we thought. The utilities and everything's getting worked out really nicely. And we've got folks that are itching to get here and help us. So praying for no rain, let it dry out, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be good to go. So that's, that's the timeline of what's going on. Um, I thought about, too, because I do have a shorter message, uh, I believe, than usual. Um, kind of a little, I guess you'd t- say, a town hall meeting we're having. Uh, some of you know I, I brought up before about uh, the church is going to be paying for some life insurance on me. And I thought, you know, some people might be a little confused about that, but I wanted you to really understand the heart behind that because this is something that if, if God would take me home early, um, I've lived through when Pastor Jim passed away. And some of us have lived through what happened with the church and, and the struggles financially and numbers-wise. And, and, you know, the Lord has this, this timing we don't always understand. Uh, but we, we took out an $800,000 loan we'll close on, and we need that building to be built for under 600000 and it's a million-dollar building. So this is a big God thing. But the Lord led me to, to think about, you know, if that would happen and the Lord would take me, then where would that leave y'all? And so we finally got, a, got approved, and I find, signed the final paper today, but we have a, an $800,000 insurance policy on me that the church is the beneficiary. And I have trustworthy board members, but who knows if I go, who's going to be in that spot? You know, that could change. So I, I wanted you to know as a congregation, not just our partners, not just our church board, that, that you can rest easy, that the Lord is leading and guiding the leadership of the church, that, that we're not going to have to go through. I mean, if God would do something to take me home early, we're not going to have to go through what we did with Pastor Jim. For those of you that were here, some of you don't know, but it, it was a big struggle for years. So um, that's finalized. It was done today, and um, we're good. I know that's a somber thing, I understand, but really for me it's a very joyful thing. I literally, as that pen went across that paper, I felt the load lifted because I'm leading you into this debt. We, we believe God's going to supply money from other places because, I mean, that's a lot of money to, to pay back for, for the numbers we have now. But um, I just wanted you to know God will provide, just like we sing, and he'll do it. But he gives us wisdom to also take steps to, to be smart about how we do things. And so... Um, you know, we don't go investing into investments because we believe when God brings money, it needs to go into win and loss right then. But we believe that's, that is one type of investment we felt was. Uh, and I got to tell you, a couple of our, our board members, they were like, what? you know, just questioning. And it wasn't Bill, so you can not stare at him. But they're questioning why, why would we, you know, and it wasn't Nathan. The other two aren't here, okay? So, um, so I just I pointed them out. No, they just, they just questioned, you know. It's neat how God works out. Why, why would we spend, you know, it's going to be about 150 bucks a month for this policy. You know, we can cancel it later if we pay off the debt. We don't need it. But, you know, for, for 20 years, if we kept it, that's 150 bucks a month. That's some money, you know. Why? And so they weren't against it, just questioning. And we, they happened to be in the motorcycle ministry with me, and we went on a trip and sat with some guys they've known for a long time who had just lost their pastor to cancer. And the pastor had put $3 million on him for the church and they had debt they had three campuses church had grown pretty big they had three campuses and his heart was that they'd all become independent and have their own pastors and he wouldn't be trying to pastor all three because they were televising the others and so they paid off all their debt and were able to to get pastors in for each of those churches and these guys sat and told that story with tears in their eyes saying how how wonderful that was the legacy that that was being left so i want you to understand why we did it i want you to understand that's why we were spending that money um 
and, and, and that it's important because we don't know God's plans for a leader. We've already seen, you know, I would have never guessed Pastor Jim at 44 years old. You know, I'm 43 now. That was eight years ago, nine years ago he passed away. We never guessed. He looked like he's in his 20s, but I wouldn't have guessed God would take him home early when he's starting such a wonderful church. So um, just know God is leading and guiding us. He's answering prayer. And listen, I'm no spring chicken and not in shape. For us to get approved for that money, that was a God thing. <laughs> so, um, but, but God is helping us, and, and he's starting to send key people. We're finding, you know, um, through our bank, the, the chairman of the board of the bank, he's been really good to try and help us. He was on vacation trying to give me names for dirt people, you know. And So God is really working, and uh, it's going to be an awesome, awesome deal. The goal is, is for us to be in that new building by Christmas. So, yeah, that's, yeah. So eight, eight months, eight months. And, and the other thing we need is we need volunteers. We're trying to do most of this volunteer work. Even if you're not skilled, when you've got time and you can come out there and, you know, you can carry a bucket, you can, you know, learn how to nail a nail in with a hammer, you know, whatever, we need, we need help. And so um, be praying for that. Also, we're going to be starting to have to pay, um, you know, as we take out draws, we have to pay the interest on the construction loan. So, you know, be faithful in what God leads you to give and your tithe. We need people all on board and, and, and biblical giving. And this isn't me trying to do a televangelist spot here. I'm just telling you, we need everybody to be following the scripture in their giving because uh, the enemy can get a foothold there on this real quick. Uh, I'll tell you, we're going great guns, and there's, there's been some times since, you know, since we started this building project where I'm thinking, Lord, I hope everybody stays, you know, stays listening to you because we need to make sure that uh, that bank doesn't get antsy. They they may ask us for our financials through midway through this project, you know. So, so just uh, keep praying, keep giving, and keep letting the Lord lead you. All right. So, how do I go from a nice worship time to some of that, and then into the Word? Well, you know, jokes always help. <laughs> I didn't read the comic strip Calvin Hobbes all that much, but um. Uh, I remember at least one where he's at school and his teacher is attempting to teach on um, teach this class on a certain subject and and uh, she goes in to say to all the all the kids okay if there's no questions we'll move on to the next chapter of this lesson and uh, Calvin says I have a question and uh, she says okay what is it Calvin he says what what's the point of human existence and she says well uh, I meant any questions about the lesson we're on. He says, well, I'd really like to have this issue solved before I spend any energy on the one you're bringing up. <laughs> and we get a laugh of that, out of that, out of Calvin's motive, but a part of me can also appreciate his question. I think the Lord's been bringing this into my messages lately uh, because we may have that settled. You may feel like, <laughs> I don't have any question about what our purpose is here, about what the uh, point of human existence is, Pastor. But listen, I think we can miss the point. I think we can get so busy with life, like our message that we had on, on Easter Sunday. We can, we can be investing ourselves into things that are so temporary that are going to disappoint us. And, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves disillusioned because life doesn't seem like it has any flavor anymore. It doesn't seem like it has any purpose. And why are we here? And we're saying we're serving God and we believe the word of God. And then we're still just kind of questioning, what are we doing? Yeah, but what about, what about me? And so... What I found about so wonderful about, we've been spending a lot of time, not just Easter, but after and, and now about the resurrection story is it's really a celebration of God's ultimate answer to our life. 
that moment at the resurrection of Christ and, and, and the resurrection story is really the answer to what is the point of human existence. Not that God hasn't revealed himself through human existence. We certainly see God's power in creation. Even the word tells us, you know, when you have the question, Pastor, what about those people that don't get to hear the word of God? What happens if Jesus comes back? Or what happens if they die without hearing? And, and scripture answers that and says, you know, even through his creation, he makes himself known. Everybody has the opportunity to know God, that he can reveal himself through his creation, whether they have someone preaching the word to them or not. And that doesn't mean that we worship nature, because nature is not nature as a being. It's God's creation. But it gives us uh, this sense that there is a personal and a personal power uh, to whom we belong. You know, I, I used to always kind of cringe when people said the, the higher power. I'm like, what are you afraid of saying his name for? You're afraid of saying you're God, but higher power. And certainly we see the entire life and ministry of Christ, God's power and love come, come close uh, to, to heal us and set us free. Perhaps nowhere is God's ultimate word of response more settled and summed up than the empty tomb. When you think about it, that is the one pivotal inanimate object, if you will, in all of Scripture that really answers that question, what is our purpose? Because no one else ever raised himself from the dead. No one else has an empty tomb that they left under their own power with nobody calling them out other than God. Others that were raised from the dead, Lazarus, that was the calling of Jesus. But, but Jesus himself was able to get up and walk out of the tomb. And the fact that tombs have often been known to tell us a lot about a person tombstones um so it's fun it's really funny that i'm preaching this because uh, this has nothing to do maybe subliminally i was thinking about it and those of your facebookites or facebook people you, know, you saw it but i posted a picture of this guy from the wild west propped up in the coffin right no black and white kind of gruesome he's dead had his rifle in the six years and i and i i told my wife we're you know i like when we're if we get a little bit of time in the morning just to before we crawl bed just to talk i'm fresh in my mind and so that's when I just say stuff, and I said, you know what, when I die, would you do something for me? So would you put me in one of those old boxes and have me propped up at the funeral with six guns crossed and quarters on my eyes and a sign above my coffin that says, I'm your huckleberry. I just think, you know, if somebody's going to have to go to a funeral, make it a little fun. And I love that movie Tombstone. I always want to be in the Wild West and be a gunslinger. So I'm like, do that. And uh, she says, I suppose you're going to tell me to put a jukebox behind you after that. Those of you that don't listen, never listen to country music, you won't get that. But you know, prop me up by the, anyway. So, um, and, and of course, she just pretty much ignores my my concern and leaves me and fixes breakfast. But, but tombs, those things, especially you know, you look at those old tombstones. Here lies the wild Jesse James or whatever. You know, that's the final words. What are you gonna put on your tombstone? He lived. He died. The end. You know, what, what are you going to put on there? Some people get elaborate. There's scripture verses. There's all kinds of things. But tombs themselves often uh, uh, say a lot. They're in a summation of someone's life. Perhaps the greatest tomb known to humankind was that discovered in our lifetime. When you talk about anybody other than Jesus, one of the greatest tombs is King Tut's tomb discovered in Egypt. He ruled around thir 1344 B.C. at the age of nine Come here, Colton and Caleb, come here. These guys are about to turn 11, but they're 10. They're close. 
ruler of Egypt at age nine. <laughs> the one fighting to rule Egypt. <laughs> <He's> not, <no. laughs> but you think about in reference to, to that age. Now, can you imagine one of these boys being able to say off with their head, you know? Right. Mr. Dane's going to feel bad he ever told you to turn your hat around frontwards or whatever he told you. All right, you can sit down. Age nine. About eight or nine years, there's some kind of squabble. They know his, his mummy shows a wound on the back of his hand. So, so at age eight or nine, he had confrontations that, that left uh, scarring. And then we know that he was, had great wealth and value because it took seven weeks for them to get the treasures that he was buried with out of the, out of the tomb. Seven model boats, chairs, thrones, chests, all laid with gold, solid gold masks, gold shrines. All these things that they buried him with. You know, I'd be thinking, what does he need that for? I'm one of these poor folks who are making me put all these big blocks up and make these pyramids. Give me some of that. You know, but, but that was a sign to be able to be buried with wealth where nobody else could get it. it and, and consider by contrast the simple tomb of Jesus that changed the world. All that was left was this empty this this empty tomb with a shroud with a burial shroud left with, with what he is wrapped in left there so first thing that this tomb tells us is that his power is ultimate and this is something that we really have to come to grasp with this you know you ever met one of those intellectuals that said have you ever just pondered the universe have you just thought and think about thought about how doorknobs work you know these deep thinkers well, here's something we really ought to be deep thinking about is the ultimate power of God. Because you can say that kind of cliche like, oh, yeah, God's all powerful. But to really grasp that there is no power greater than him, I think takes more than just a flippant acknowledgement. That when you think about that, that you depend on the power to turn on your lights, right? When the power goes out and your fridge goes out and all your groceries about to spoil, all of a sudden that power is really important to you. You know, when you go out and all of a sudden there's an electrical problem on your car and you just got a new job and you know that you get fired and that car won't start, the power to that car is very important to you. It's vital. And I'm not so sure that we really live our lives and we interact with people as Christians sometimes with the full revelation and living out in our lives like we understood and understand the magnitude of God's power. Because I think if we really grasp that, we hung on to it, we focus on it, we meditate on how powerful God is, it would literally change the way we approach most of our problems, our struggles, our strife, because we understand that we're God's and he's all-powerful. So his power is ultimate, and that's what the tomb says to us, because Jesus rose himself, his heavenly Father, the power of God, rose from the dead. Look at, you look at the pyramids of Egypt, the, they're famous because they contain the mummified bodies of all these ancient Egyptian kings. And then Westminster Abbey in London is revered because it, it rests the bodies of English nobles and notables, important people. Nobody cares about the guy who, the, the trash collector's grave, right? They, they, they revere these tombs or these graves of these important people. Muhammad, Muhammad's tomb is noted for the stone coffin and the bones it contains. They're reverencing it because his body still remains there. Arlington Cemetery in Washington, D.C. It's revered for 
the honored resting place of many outstanding American soldiers. But the garden tomb of Jesus is famous because it's empty. Now just let us soak in for a minute. Think about it. You're going to go pay. What does it cost to go to Disney World now? A million dollars? I mean, no. Uh, okay, without the ice cream. 500000 all right? Whatever it costs, all right, to go. You think about it. You go there and you walk in and, well, let me give you a better example because we went not long ago, last year, went to the Tulsa Zoo. And it was pretty warm that day, if I remember right. And, and you want to see the big animals, right? Who, who cares about the little Tweety bird that you can see in your yard, which they also have those, you know, but you want to see the lions, the tigers, the bears, and all that stuff. Oh, my. And we went, and all the animals, the big ones, the important ones, couldn't be seen. They were either in there or they weren't showing them that day or whatever. And we felt ripped off. So most of the time, when you go to, to some place to observe something important, something of, of significance, something of value, it's usually not something that's vacant or empty. It's like a dog patch, USA, right? Have you ever driven past that in recent years? That used to be a, a, a big amusement park in Arkansas, and South Arkansas. You go by that now, and it's like, you know, grown up and dilapidated, and you're like, I wouldn't pay a dollar to walk around there. Well, some of them, but if you went there and a kid, you might, for nostalgia reason, pay a little bit. But you're not going to pay the hundred and some bucks like Silver Dollar City. And, and, and so Jesus' tomb, literally, if there was a headstone there engraved there, it would just have to say, this is where he was for a short time. And we really don't know where he's at now, at least the unbelievers. <laughs> and it's, it's significant that his tomb is empty. There is the ultimate demonstration of God's power in Christ. There is your key for totally trying to, trying to grasp and live by the ultimate power of God and understand how great he is. It's focused on that empty tomb. The final fulfillment of our countless the countless prophecies regarding the coming of the Messiah. See, this is one thing that those who oppose uh, that God that that God is real and that he, His Son Jesus died on the cross. What they oppose about that that there's anything miraculous in it is because they don't go far enough to understand that it was a fulfillment to the T of ancient prophecies about the Messiah. That everything that happened was a fulfillment of prophecy. That it happened just as it was foretold. God's very own, including not only uh, very own prophecy, including not only how he had been born, but how he would die, how he'd be buried, his grave, his resurrection, and, and even in Isaiah that was that was written a thousand years before Christ, six hundred years before the crucifix, a crucifixion that was developed. These these are being foretold. So as the the definitive demonstration of power over all of life. That's the meaning of our life. That there is a God. And that He loves us enough He had sent His only Son to die for us. And it wasn't about Him dying alone. It was the fact that He had the power to raise again. That no one can trump that. No one can outdo what He did. Yet some hearts were threatened as, as Jesus had predicted. And if they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they would not be convinced even if someone raises from the dead. It actually said that in one of the prophecies. That, that if they, they didn't listen to Moses and the prophets, so they won't even be convinced if someone rises from the dead. And that came to pass. You're right. Some of them didn't believe, even after he rose from the dead. 
here's, some suggest, uh, here's what some suggest, that Jesus wasn't really dead. Literally, some of them tried to say he wasn't really dead. That's why he's not there. He, you know, maybe he has a concussion, coma, whatever. But here's the deal. Everybody, including unbelievers and those carrying out the beating, saw him beaten until he was unable to stand. It's historical. It was witnessed by, by thousands. He was nailed to the cross. That was witnessed by everyone, even those carrying it out and those that didn't believe. Pierced and blood and water flowed. Everyone at the cross witnessed that, even those that didn't believe. Four experts signed a death certificate. Yes, even back then, they want to make sure you're dead. Who wants to be put in a big uh, rock cave tomb and have a big stone that you can't move out of the way only to come out of unconsciousness and be like, hey guys, let me out, right? When everybody's gone. And they didn't bury you in the middle of town, so nobody's going to hear you. So four experts signed. And then they prepared a burial with 100 pounds of spices and garments that, that were like a mummy wrap, but it was very expensive, like very expensive linen. Then there's this stone mat, this large one and a half to two ton stone rolled down a channel. And a fourth document says that it took 20 men to remove such a stone. This is historical data, that the stone that was used at the grave of Jesus, that, that closely after his death, when things were being written down and, and, and were being um, recorded, not just by believers, but unbelievers, that the stone on his tomb would have taken 20 men to move it. Now, we're going to get into a minute about some, here in just a second, about that the, some would say the disciples stole Jesus from the grave. Now, he had more than 20 disciples, people that were followers, yes. But we also know that the account about them being hidden in a locked room would be very likely and very accurate because what they just did to Jesus, we know when we just had this in the messages, they were hiding out. I don't think that they wanted to have 20 people out there in the open at the tomb where there's going to be guards, more likely. And so this, that wouldn't even make sense. They had extra guards. Uh, it had a Roman seal put on it so they'd know if someone broke the seal. It could have not been a recovering Jesus who, who, who came completely and fully alive to the disciples and others, but a resurrected Jesus. In other words, they're in a locked room, and so there's a, all these witnesses say, he just appeared. So then it does, we do go on that others suggest that the disciples stole him from the grave. These fearful disciples who, who fled so they wouldn't even be associated with him. Uh, some of his closest denied him three times before the rooster crowed twice. Peter, um, Judas denied him before that, sold him out. And so they're trying to propose that, oh yeah, they, they overtook the patrol of guards, which there's no documentation or no guards that said they were overtaken. Um, that they moved the stone, that 20 of them at least had to move the stone. And, and demonstrated his, his uh, interaction in public with others and were transformed into relentless courage. So in other words... They, they're trying to say all this, but what made them be willing to be boiled in oil and, and hung on a stake and decapitated, all these things for the cause of Christ when they were hiding out before that? And so these, these are foolish um, um, proposals. And then here's the one that I don't think I even realized that there were some that actually back then, after Jesus died, proposed that it was a wrong tomb. Not a graveyard, but one grave in a garden. Now see, we think that we only have the tabloids and stuff now. But they must have had some form of getting that kind of junk out because, because 
the Roman Empire knows where they, the body went, they're going to make sure of it. And they had guards, and they put a seal on it. That's all of it. But there's still some saying, well, they, they must have put him in the wrong tomb. Mary and the women would have had to been wrong, Peter and John wrong, and Joseph, the new owner of the tomb of Jesus, he would have had been wrong, and the Roman guards could have simply denied and said, here's the tomb. So that's foolishness too. The truth is, Peter could, could stand, Peter could stand for 40 days later and proclaim undisputed uh, that, that, that he saw the risen Christ. And, and as I mentioned in our Easter sermon, he gave them an opportunity for repentance. Here's Peter who denied him three times before the rooster crowed twice. And now, because he's seen the risen Savior, and that's why he says, he, he finally has the courage and he gets filled with the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking tongues. And so he's willing to stand out in a very, a very uh, wide open space, very public, but no one disputed what he was saying because there's plenty of witnesses that saw what happened to him. So the Apostle Paul could speak of Jesus' appearance over, uh, uh, to over 500 people because there's people that know that the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, they knew his life before. They knew he was on the Damascus Road. And they know, and there's people that were witnesses, that he showed up with blind, and he's immediately healed. And then his life turns around. So evidence after evidence after evidence. Every person who, who became a true follower, a disciple of Christ, there was something so supernatural, so powerful in their story, that it changed everything, not only in them, but the people who are willing to listen and believe. Joss McDowell, a man who initially set out... Um, set out to refute uh, Christianity. I'm not real, I'm, honestly, I'm not that familiar with Josh McDowell, but I, I was looking through some sermon helps and, and, and I run across some things he'd said and apparently he's asking a professor of his at one point, why can't you refute Christianity? Why can't you refute Christianity? Because apparently this professor was standing for Christianity. And, said, and this professor said, for the simple reason, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. After more than 700 hours of studying and investigating the evidence, it only led him to God. And then he goes on to say that this professor, Thomas Arnold, for 14 years, he, the headmaster of, of uh, this place in Rome that, that was all about the history of Rome, this holder of the chair of modern history at Oxford, was well acquainted with the value of evidence. He said, in determining historical facts, this great scholar said, I have been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of, of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by, by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer that the great sign which God hath given us is that Christ died and rose again from the dead. People who devote their lives either to disprove or to prove all end up to the same conclusion that Christ rose from the dead. Dr. Frank Morrison, a lawyer who had been brought up in a rationalistic environment, he'd come to the opinion, uh, to the opinion that, that the resurrection was nothing but a fairy tale and happy ending. 
which spoiled the, the matchless story of Jesus. He felt that he owed it to himself and to others to write a book that would present the truth about Jesus and dispel the myth of the resurrection. In other words, he thought Jesus was a great disciple, a great teacher. Man, no one can beat the teachings of Jesus. And, and he stood on that. But he still said it's a disservice to him <coughs> to proclaim that he rose from the dead because that just doesn't happen. But upon him studying the facts, however, he t- came to a different conclusion. said, the sheer weight of the evidence compelled me to conclude that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. And Morrison wrote in his book, he wrote his book, but not, only, uh, but not the one he had planned, because his first book was planned to dispel this thing about the resurrection. And it's titled, Who Moved the Stone? The first chapter, significantly, is called The Book that refused to be written. In other words, he's saying, there is enough evidence, but you can pick any one thing. Who moved the stone? Pick that. Then you run with that. You know, why were they hiding out and then all of a sudden they're, they're willing to go to their death? Explain these things. People who just try to disprove this, explain why would that happen in human reason, in human logic. And then there's the, the scholar C.S. Lewis, which many are familiar with. And this pro- former professor of, of the medieval times and the Renaissance literature at Cambridge University, when writing about his conversion to Christianity, he indicated that he had believed Christians to be wrong. That the last thing Lewis wanted was to embrace Christianity. But after evaluating the basis and evidence for Christianity, Lewis concluded that in other religions there was no such historical claim as in Christianity. And no others make this claim his knowledge of literature forced him to treat the gospel record as a trustworthy account because there's none that matched it he says i was by now too experienced in literary criticism to regard the gospels as myth you see we have so many people that will present themselves as some scholar or somebody knowledgeable and 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 they'll treat us as foolish for believing in the resurrection of christ but anyone who actually took it seriously enough to dedicate life time to get dedicate study to it that by the power of god his living word their minds are changed to believe and god showed his ultimate power for an for an ultimate purpose so the second thing we see from this empty tomb is that his priority is people his priority is people it's not this earth it's not the animals it's not going green it's not your job it's not your money, your income, what you amass for yourself. It's, it's not any of that. It's about his people. In the tomb of King Tut, in contrast to Jesus, his being empty, Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost, you and me. King Tut, when he dies, they seek to send everything with him. Jesus doesn't need anything in his tomb because he was coming for what was most precious to him, and that's you and me. He described the king of hosts as that of a shepherd leaving 99 until he finds that one lost sheep. And when he found them, all of heaven rejoices. And, and to think of that, that it's, that's his kingdom, that he is the king of, that the angels and all the created beings, that, that when someone comes to know the Lord, Sunday we had someone saved here. We had people saved at, at Centro. And, and when that happened, 
we know that all of heaven rejoice. Perhaps that's a value that is hard for, for us to, to see in ourselves. This is something I'm afraid the church is losing, that when we have become saved, when, when God has rescued us from the muck and mire of life, and we are truly, our name is written in Lamb's Book of Life, how much value do we put on that? Do we look at it as, as more than what King Tut had in his tomb? That, that, the, that the salvation we were offered, that we had a death sentence on our head because we couldn't help but sin. But we've been rescued. There's a story about a gem dealer who was strolling the aisles of a, of a Tuscan gem and mineral show. And he noticed a blue-violet stone the size and shape of a potato. It was a large thing, and hardly anybody was looking at it. And He looked it over, and then as, as calmly as possible, he asked the vendor, when he saw this price tag, on it, he says, you want $15 for this? With that tone, do you want $15 for this? The seller thinking that he was not really admiring the stone, but rejecting the stone, he lowered the price to $10. After, after this gem dealer leaves, knowing what he had, has it appraised. And it's certified as a 1,905-carat natural star sapphire about 800 carats larger than the largest stone of its kind known at the time. It was appraised at $2.2 million. Jesus also known as the stone that the builder rejected. We often don't realize the value of what we have in our hands. Some of you have heard the story about when we were building our house and we had taken some of the dirt off and they piled it up in back when they were clearing our land. And One of my boys comes up to me and says, I found an arrowhead. Yeah, whatever. I hate to say it. That's my response. And I looked at it. It was like very intricate. I was like, oh, yeah, that's the real deal. And it was a little bigger than I would have expected. And it looked like the back maybe was broke off. And come to find out, we take them to the museum, the Indian Museum, and it's actually 2,000 years to prehistoric is the age on it. And it was a knife that they would keep napping it down until it would get so small they couldn't use it, and they'd toss it away. And the boys found this. I said, don't, don't dig up any ancient people or we'll be moving. But... But you know, it had been real easy for that to get tossed in a drawer and just say, oh yeah, Arrowhead, you can find them all over the creeks around here. I mean, to us, without knowledge, without really, really understanding, without, without, without studying, because we didn't know, they could take us to the wall and say, look, it's, there's the same one, made out of the same kind of stone. Yeah, that dates back to this time. Wow, how do you know that? I can print out one of those little labels too and say 2,000 years old, you know? And I think sometimes often we approach what God has done in our life like that. We don't really see a change on the outside of us. I, I'm still overweight. I'm still, I still ache in pain when I get up. And I prayed for healing for my feet, and it's not happening. We, we still feel like that same person. But, but the truth of the matter is, is we just haven't spent the time to get a full understanding, a grasp on how valuable what Jesus did in us really is. Sometimes we don't get that until we actually get off our high horse and spend some time with someone who, God is not in control of their life. And we just see how bad things can get. And we get reminded about how valuable those things are that God has removed from our lives and how our redemption is more precious than any stone there is. It took 
a lover of stones to recognize the sapphire's worth. And it took a lover of souls to recognize the true value of an ordinary looking people like us. So as fellow human beings, we, we see that that which is frail and flawed. And as, as a father, God sees his child. It, it's like during our worship time when I just, I, I'm just not sure what it is. And I, I'm not sure I'm doing a good job of framing up and, and conveying to you what the Holy Spirit's doing in my heart. But I'm telling you, if you understood the value of what God is wanting to do in your life, and whatever it is He's wanting to do in these times together in the services, and when you leave here, if you understood the value of that and how precious it is, you would not leave this place until you had it. I could tell you that if I hid in one of these cushions a sapphire that size worth $2.2 million, you'd stop listening to me and I'd see, I'd see stuffing flying. It might be the only time people actually get on their knees in this church is to find that sapphire, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not, don't get mad at me. <laughs> Pastor Armando told me a saying as I'm getting ready to go preach. He says, he's telling me what the words in the song says. And, and, and they, used, they were talking about getting on their knees in the song. He said, the word for that is rodillos. And, it's, and he said, see, you can, you can remember it because it kind of looks a little bit like tortillas. And he said, in fact, we have a saying in Spanish and I'm just going to give you an English translation for what he said because I can't say what he said. Um, but he said, we have this saying that if you don't get on your knees, no hay rodillas, no hay tortillas. In other words, you don't get on your knees, you don't get any tortillas. And I was like, he was cracking jokes. I'm thinking he's getting all spiritual on me. But, but the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, is while in Pentecostal circles, opposed to if you're Presbyterian or Lutheran or whatever. Some people don't put a value on getting on your knees before the Lord. Because they just don't understand. Sometimes the precious gem he has for your life requires you to be humbled and get in a position of total humility. And my knees hurt and my back sometimes hurts and I still find that there's times that because of pride that creeps up in my life and things that happen in my life during the week that until I make myself, sometimes I'm forcing myself Sometimes I'm like, I don't really want to go kneel at the altar. But I'm just like, if I have an opportunity to leave here different than I came, I'll do whatever it takes. That's why Jesus was born into obscurity. He touched the lepers, the poor, the sinners, the ones most socially recognized as useless he went after. The empty tomb reminds us what matters most to God. And that's us. The third thing from the tomb is his peace is beyond circumstances. The first words of our risen Lord to our disciples, which was from our Easter message, is peace be with you. And he says it twice. A peace like any other. For it's that peace that speaks to the fullness of our lives and experience. Do you understand that when he's saying peace be with you, he's literally giving them a little foreshadowing of peace be with you because in heaven there's no more tears, there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain, there's no more sin. All you've got left is peace and joy and love of the Father for all of eternity. He's literally speaking to them a piece of heaven when he says peace. Different spelling, peace. It's been said that great tragedy of our lives is that we live between the shame of our failures and the fear of our future. And just like I told the one that was, uh, that Lord led me to send a text to the one that was filled with the Holy Spirit on Sunday here at New Song, I said, listen, often the hardest part when God's done something in your life is not 
uh, dealing with your unbelief. It's dealing with the unbelief of people around you who have seen who you were before that happened. And they're a constant reminder of who you were. That's where the struggle is, is the constant reminder of what it was like before God reached into your life and did something. And that's often the fear that we have, is that if God does something and lays us out in the altar under the power of the Holy Spirit, that we got to get up and turn around and look at the faces of the people who thought something totally different of us. And many times we don't even know what they're going to think. We just don't, we're afraid of the fact they're going to think about us. And it might not be positive. God did not create you for time. God created you for eternity. Everything that happens here has nothing to do about the time here other than reaching others and them having the same thing. It has to do with where he's taking you. The final point I want you to get from the tomb, from the empty tomb, is that his presence is here. Killing Jesus was like trying to destroy a dandelion by blowing on its white furry seeds. You, you see, we, we often think that, that um, you know, the, the Romans that, that came in and did what they did to Jesus, that, yeah, he could have put up a fight and he could have done this, but, you know, by his heavenly Father, he was ordered to that death. You know, there's a dynamic in the Trinity that we, we have a hard time getting. That It says, literally, Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back. Only the Father knows. That, that even though it's a Godhead, it's a three persons, and, and you know, you could go through all the bad analogies trying to understand, you know, gas, water, vapor, what, whatever. You could go through all that. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that his death and his resurrection and, and the redemption for your soul was all pre-ordered by the Heavenly Father. And those guys that went to kill him, you know, I'm sure they felt really accomplished. We squashed this Jewish rebellion. But it was no harder than just blowing on a, a dandelion that has the white little things that blow off. It's literally what, what we're looking at here is it, it was so easy for them because God himself allowed it. And, and many times in our lives we're so afraid of God doing something in us and, and we don't consider the, the ultimate power of that empty tomb because we just feel like everyone else has power over us. Truth of the matter is, when you're God's, no one has power over you. Not even Satan himself. Howard Carter, he was one in November 4th, 1922. He is the one that quickly, uh, he was the one that actually found King Tut's tomb. He had taken 10 years of digging to find this tomb. This half a million dollars in 1922's dollars that's the value of what he found half a million dollars and all all he, he gathered and he dug along the steps of the door and he put the light in and they said what do you see and he said marvelous things and he went to the top of the steps and he put his head in his hands and he cried and, and they assumed he was crying from joy but it was actually great sorrow because he said he said 10 years ago i dug 18 inches from that step. Ten years of my life have been missed because of 18 inches. That he spent an extra ten years of his life trying to go after that treasure and, and re the realization that he was that close, 18 inches away at one point ten years before, was too much for him to bear that day. It overshadowed all the joy of finding a half a million dollars, which back then probably was like ten million today. But, but 
finding that was still not enough because sorrow overwhelmed him when he realized he had been so close and he wasted 10 years of life. And I have to think, if we really understood the preciousness of that empty tomb, if we really understood and we worked towards the power of God working our lives because of that empty tomb and valued it like, like he valued this find, then it would break our hearts to think that we've been in services before and we've been maybe 18 inches because we won't move our feet from our spot we're in 18 inches to possibly experience the power of empty tomb. Jesus is all around us and he's in you if you've accepted him. And when you're standing worshiping, I understand the Holy Spirit's there with you, he's in you. But Jesus didn't walk up to the disciples and say, all right, believe in me and I'll be back after you do. He said, drop what you're doing and follow me. Move out of your comfort zone. Leave everything you know. Leave, leave your, your livelihood, your job. Leave your family. Don't even take time to go say goodbye. Just come with me. And he revolutionized their lives. But even then, I bet you, how many times were they within 18 inches of Jesus? How many times were they within 18 inches of that cross when he was being crucified? And yet they missed the value of what Jesus was doing because they were hiding out and denied him until the power of the Holy Spirit came on them. And that is our indicator that through the power of the, the Holy Spirit, that empty tomb, that's the only way that our lives are going to be broken loose. It's the only way we're going to be set on fire again. Listen, this is almost surreal to me because there was a time I wasn't a pastor. There was a time New Song didn't exist. And there was a time when I was in an altar, bawling my head off to God, do something in me. I, I can't leave here till you do something in me. And I've been calling out to God for all of you. We, we've got to understand that, that this is not what God intended for us to just come in and sing a few songs, hear a word, and go out and just go at life as usual. Your job can be gone tomorrow. Your life can be gone tomorrow. All we have is the eternal. Think about the missionary that, that quits their job not knowing when they're going to have another paycheck to follow God. I think about Ken and Shelley quitting, or Ken quitting a job, going two years not knowing where they're provision was going to come from other than God you know I see examples around my life and and folks I'm going to tell you if there are things in your life that are getting in the way of you experiencing the power of God you've got to squash that I'm not telling you that he's going to ask you to quit your job he may but you got to squash that or your life is going to pass you by and all along you'll be within 18 inches of God turning your life upside down and doing something miraculous in you how do you know you're not called to be in some foreign land preaching the gospel unless you're willing to let him tell you that? How do you know that you're not going to win your whole neighborhood for Christ until you're willing to move another 18 inches towards him? How do you know that? And, and that's the thing I'm struggling with right now, is God is answering all my prayers. I, I had a heavy weight on me. The prophecy about this church is that a spiritual son to Pastor Jim, one day after he dies, would go to build this church, but he would not live to build it. And God gave that to Lynn 10 years before New Song started. She talked it over to someone, wrote it down. It was verified by witnesses that God had told her that. And every time they started to think they're going to build when they were in Indiana, she thought, oh, no, this year my husband's going to die. And, and God had her go through all of that only to find out that it was here. It was New Song. 
This is the fulfillment of the prophecy God gave her. There's been much more. God gave us stuff that came to pass. God gave Pastor Roger things that came to pass. And with all this being fulfilled, I still feel like I'm 18 inches away. I'm just 18 inches away from God showing me the true value of what this is all about. Folks, I have this deep concern that we'll move into a beautiful new facility with all the opportunity to reach more for Christ and have more room. And we'll still think it's about us just coming in and doing church and going back to our lives. I'm telling you, we need people who are getting shook, shook loose in the prayer closet at home that are, are falling out in the power of God under the spirit in the services and it's shaking them loose to where they're bold and they're walking in the workplace and they're like god if if i get fired for preaching the gospel today you're going to provide for me god i work for walmart they don't allow that i've been there i prayed for people who had cancer that that sandy that's coming here now i prayed for her in my office with people listening and my boss hearing and my boss wasn't even a believer then and i i prayed for her I'm not bragging on me. I'm saying when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you. I was having moments out in the parking lot where I just, God would break me down and I'd look up and, and, and rub my eyes and I'd think I saw a steeple on the 1300 building of Walmart, which is just a big metal building. And, and God was messing with me. And then I walked in and felt like literally when I stepped, I almost felt like the ground was shaking. Like, like the power of the Holy Spirit was all over me. And I was walking into church, not work. How many of you would like to walk into work tomorrow and literally feel like you're walking in to a church service and not work? Don, you're with me. It's a bad movie. I shouldn't reference it, but you ever seen Jerry Maguire? I'm like, I've got the goldfish. Don, who's with me? Don, are you coming with me? That's how I feel tonight because I'm like, I don't know. I'm not trying to produce anything. I can't make the Holy Spirit show up in you. I can't make him show up in me. But come on, church. I mean, aren't you hungry for it? Some of you don't have a reference point. You're like, I don't even know what he's going to do to me. You just keep saying this stuff. That's the point. He'll do it, and because nobody told you, you'll know it's him. I need a refreshing. We need a refreshing. You know, Mitch and Nathan, you landed here, you just said, you've just been looking for a place where you just felt like God was moving. And you're here, and I'm telling you, I feel like God needs to move more. And you were just saying, I'm just thankful to find a place where we're preaching the word and you can feel the spirit. But I can guarantee you from talking to you, you're not satisfied with just that being it. I think everybody in here, if we admit it, we want more. You know, I'm tired of even looking at that stupid clock thinking I'm keeping you 10 minutes late because I, I just don't know until I can just break loose of all the normal church criteria for how long we have service and how many songs we do, right, Ken? And, and when the preaching happens. And, you know, we and you even talked, remember when I was, I was saying, you know, I was thinking about maybe doing the, the message before worship. You guys are like, well, I've never seen it done like that before. You know, we had that talk. And naturally we go there, don't we? Naturally say, well, I don't know. You know, I don't know if that really works in church because, you know, everybody else doesn't do it that way. You know, I get boxed in too where I wonder, is the Holy Spirit able to speak to me because I'm listening to so many other voices, you know? You know, Ken has to sit through board meetings. I'm on his board in New Beginnings. And I got all fired up one night. And, you know, he's all he's thinking about is I got kids to get in out of, and rescue. And, and, and some of this stuff is just stupid that we go through, right? <laughs> he's, thinking, he's like, I know what God told me to do. I know what decisions he made. I don't really need you board members. And that's really the truth of it. If God's leading you, you know, I mean, other than to look out for you. And that's what I said that night. We're here to look out for him. You guys are here to find out what God wants in your life. You're not here for me. 
if you think we're building this church, if you think you're going to go help in this church and it's, it's for me, somehow you're doing something for me, I'm not trying to be ungrateful for your help. I'm just telling you, you've got the wrong idea. Because this thing isn't even for me. If we're not doing it for Jesus, we're doing it for the wrong reason. And here's the thing. I'll do, a, I'll do something disappointing and you'll feel like all the stuff you did was for no good. You'll feel upset about it because you feel like you wasted your time. If we aren't doing this experience God, then we're doing it for the wrong reason. And I just have this hesitation in my spirit that I know we're supposed to break ground. I know that God's doing the timing and all that. And it's almost like I just don't even want that dirt to move until the Holy Spirit breaks loose in this place. I, I feel that desperate about it. God, I almost don't care if you just postpone everything until we finally have a move of God that just radicalizes everybody's life. And I'm not trying to, I, I don't think it embarrassing. I'm not trying to tell them, but, but you know, I've been talking, Johnny's the one that got filled with the Holy Spirit, Johnny Arnold. And it, I had to hear it three times before I could really understand that it was Johnny Arnold that got filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, that, that's not something that he's just had experience before. But he came down to this altar three months or four months ago. I'm losing track of time. And he about squeezed my hand off. I've never had a man squeeze my hand so tight because I, I think I'm pretty tough. But I felt like he was going to break my bones. And he said, Pastor, I want to be the spiritual leader of my family. And two years before that, Janessa, his daughter, sitting in, in my office with, with Jen and saying, I just want my mom and my dad to be in church. Will you guys pray? You see, we get numb to the fact that God's opened up this empty tomb and, and, and we think that, you know, that's the end of it. But the value of what he did for us is all wrapped up in the empty tomb that there's power, unimaginable power in this resurrection story. And it's not just a story, it's part of you if you accept them. And people getting filled with the Holy Spirit who have no reference point, that's all what it's about. The 120 in the upper room in the book of Acts, people thought they were drunk. They didn't have a reference point. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, had not come yet. And God's wanting to inhabit and live in them. And they're up there and they're just waiting. Can you imagine? What if we just said, okay, tonight you guys came at 6.30, but you can't guarantee you're getting out of here anytime soon because we're, we're just staying here until God does something. We'll sing songs, we'll do that, but nobody's leaving this place. We're locking the door. Nobody's leaving here until God does something. Now, what kind of stories would be on Facebook and everywhere about the crazy nut cult church that's over there called New Song, right? But listen, we've got over 2,000 years separation from that Acts account. And there's been plenty of experiences since then. When, when the early 1900s, when the Pentecostal movement got started, and, and it was just literally some students and some people meet in the house, and they begin to pray and wait on God, and they're just, I'm waiting until something happens. And a new fresh outpouring happened, and literally the formation of the Pentecostal movement. Not just one, not just assemblies of God, but all, there's many that started off of that. So I'm not going to keep just hammering this. I'm going to tell you, I don't know the answers tonight, because maybe our hearts just aren't there yet. I'm just telling you, you need to start looking for it. You need to start questing. You need to start a journey. Saying, God, I don't even know where I'm going or how I'm getting there. All I know is something resonated in my heart when pastor was talking, and, and I don't want to keep doing this just to be doing it. Danny, I don't want to try to figure out some smart plan for reaching all the young adults in the area. What I want to happen is God light us up so much that we walk out and they send something different, and we go to lay our hands on them, and boom, they're out, and they're saying, listen, I believe, you know, or, or I, I couldn't walk right before and I'm healed. 
yeah, it's not about just coming to New Song, but I've got to go somewhere where I know the power of God's happening and it's happening in you. See, we don't have to worry about filling seats in the church when the people are so full of God's power that they're taking it out of here and it's hitting every workplace and every home and every business. And I even worry about us from a leadership standpoint. Ken, we can get so busy. You're building, you got so much going on, I got so much going on now. Pastor Mondo's warning me about it. We can't lose ourselves in this. We, we, can't, we can't disconnect from what God has done before in our lives and think he can't do something new again. And so I'm just asking you, the Bible talks about fasting, and if you don't really know a lot about fasting, you need to talk with me because there's some very scriptural principles, and we're not going to preach another sermon tonight on it. But the scripture talks about even with demons and some things that just don't seem to come out of people's lives, that it's not just prayer, but fasting. You have to give up something so precious like life-giving food sometimes for a time to pray and seek God. But we've got to get serious about this, folks. We do. We're at a detrimental crossroads where God is opening up a new door for us. And I just have this reservation that, that we're going to get blindsided by just the everybody build a church when you need more seats. No, we're building a church because there's more people that need Jesus. And we haven't really gone to capacity sometimes in these seats lately. But, but I'm telling you, it's kind of like Jen and I said, we, got a, we had a call to missions. And all of a sudden we had the revelation that, hey, how many people are we winning to the Lord now? And we said, why would God send us on the mission field? If we aren't doing it here, why would we think we'd do it there? If, if you're not willing to get out of your comfort zone and God do something to you in an altar or, or you to go across because the Holy Spirit gave you a word to tell somebody and, and we start operating the gifts that he wants to give us and we get bold and let him do those things of us, if we're not doing it here, we won't do it in the workplace. You definitely won't do it around your unsaved loved ones that you want to see come to know him. You won't do it if in this spot where you have all the support and the teaching and the preaching and the worship to encourage you to do it. If you won't break loose here, you're not going to do it anywhere else. So I remember when Pastor Jim died and Pastor Roger came. And I didn't know him from Adam. All I knew is Lynn, Lynn said that Pastor Jim had mentored him and he was coming from Indiana. Uh, we didn't really have a pick in this. This was before we were a fully recognized church. So they appointed us a pastor, basically. Uh, worked with Lynn. And, and I, I wanted to just jump in there like I'd help Pastor Jim. And me and him started butting heads. Our personalities just weren't coming together. He was a little more passive than, than I, I was on some things, you know. And it wasn't passive in a bad way, but he was just easygoing. And, and we were, I was trying to you know, do things like Pastor Jim had going and, and we're butting heads and he would preach sermons that, has, that I think, remember, were a little bit like this. And some of us would gather, I hate to say this, me and some others that were key people in the church who, who loved Pastor Jim and wanted to see the church go and we'd start complaining and saying, you know, I just feel like he's slapping us in the face all the time. I use those exact words. It just feels like a slap in the face after we, what we went through with Pastor Jim dying to be told we're not spiritual enough or we're not doing this, we're not doing that. It's just a slap in the face. I mean, we're hurting. But you know what God showed me is that's the best time. That slap in the face sometimes is the best time to be woke up and say, you know what, I'm losing sight of what this is all about. This church was never about Pastor Jim. It was God's church, and it was what he wanted to happen. And he can fill this role with whoever he wants, and he can take anybody he wants home at any point he wants. But the simple truth of the matter is this church has a purpose in this community, and that's to bring the power of the empty tomb, the resurrected Savior, to a lost and dying community. So uh, right or wrong, this is where I think we need to be tonight, is we're going to conclude the service now, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to conclude.
And I know it's a heavy spot. I understand that. But I look around these faces. Some of you are a little newer than those. I've known some of you a long time, and some of you have been at New Song a long time. But I'm counting on you to pray and intercede, to take tonight, and even in my weakness where maybe I'm not conveying it the way the Holy Spirit wants to, know that we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this church. And that is your focus in prayer and fasting if the Lord leads you. But I need you to intercede for your church. Pastor Jim, the week before, the night before they flew him to Mayo Clinic and he died a week later, when he called me in the room, he said, CJ, don't pray for me. Don't have the people praying for me. Pray for New Song. The enemy is battling New Song. Pray for them. And that's where we're at right now. I asked you to pray for me. And now I, I kind of retract that. Because really, if God will get a hold and do things here at New Song, he's got me taken care of. So put every bit of focus and energy you have into praying and interceding for this church. Lots of great churches around here. Pray he does it in all of them. We need their help too. All right. Let's pray and let's just, let's just go home. And Nathan, you may have to play some happy music after this when everybody leaves. All right. Lord, I thank you, God, for, Lord, even though I may have an odd approach and my personality is different than other pastors and God, everybody has to try to weigh out what I'm saying. But Lord, I know that your Holy Spirit is in this place and I felt it from the beginning and you've been stirring in me. And even when this building is empty, I walk in here and I feel like your Holy Spirit is here saying, I'm waiting for these people to let me break them loose. I'm waiting for them to finally not want to leave until they have what I have for them. And, And Lord, we can't force it. God, we can't make it happen. It's not us. We need you. And Lord, we need to wait on you. Like the Acts account. Lord, if it's here, if it's in our prayer closet at home, Lord, interceding for this church. But God, I pray that you will shake us up. And Lord, uh, even though we've got this building project going on, Lord, let the main focus be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on your people in this place and in their homes and in their workplace. God, in the car going down the road, in the line at the grocery store, let them break loose. Let the gifts of the Spirit flow through these people. Lord, every bit. Those who have not received a gift and don't know what their gift is, Lord, I pray that you make it evident to them. Let it be supernatural, God, like you did on Sunday. Wake them up to what you have for them, Lord. In Jesus' name, by the blood of, uh, of the Lamb, I pray right now in Jesus' name, I come against the enemy right now in Jesus' name that, God, you'd free people. You'd set them free, God. You'd break through the darkness, Lord. Lord, even those that are serving you and who love you and are being faithful, God, there's a darkness not on the inside of them, but surrounding them, trying to prevent them from hearing the voice of your Holy Spirit. God, right now I pray spiritual warfare would break out, Lord, in this body of believers. And that, God, what we have known of new song is gone and the new is coming, God. That right now in Jesus' name, Lord, that we will let loose, Lord, of our tradition. Lord, that we will battle for you, Lord, and for your kingdom. That, God, you've called us out to be warriors, Lord. That, Lord, when Moses wasn't allowed to go on, Lord, you raised up a a leader that was a warrior, God, to lead your people. And right now, God, I pray that you bring back that warrior mentality, Lord, that I wouldn't shrink back, but I'd stand firm, God. Let's charge forward, God, that when we walk into our workplaces, let the ground tremble, Lord, in the spiritual realm. Let the demons tremble and run, Lord, and flee. Lord, light these people up, God, with your spirit. Let them feel the power of God in their lives. No longer, Lord, will we be asleep. No longer will it be church as usual. Lord, I pray for Ken and the worship team. I pray for Tim and the kids. And I pray for every volunteer in this church, God, and every person that sits in a seat. Lord, I pray right now you'd anoint these seats that those that will come and sit in them Sunday, God, that it will break loose, that Lord, is hold and maintain is here, Lord, that your presence will already be here at work. That, God, before they get out of bed on Sunday morning, Lord, you are in their homes and the Holy Spirit is breaking loose the strongholds. Jesus, we're not praying for revival. We want it new. We want new. We want you to make all things new. Your word says you make all things new. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we need...
to be new and refreshed and God to have a new work in us. Jesus, we thank you. Lord, protect us from trying to contrive or, or to put on or to do anything under our own power. God, let us wait like an upper room. Let us wait for the real deal. Let us wait for you to do it. Let it be so real, God, that no one can deny that it's the power of God. In Jesus' name.